0: If you have your Bible, would you hold it up? And we always like to start off and remind ourselves... This is no ordinary book, so let's say this out loud. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that would change my life forever. Today, I wanna talk to you about the reality of heaven and hell, the reality of heaven and hell. It's a lot of questions uh, about both, and as time goes on, And uh, cultures shift, and we become uh, less familiar with the Bible as a nation, and just around the world, people seem to be creating their own ideas more and more, and their own opinions about what happens after death. And that's you know that's to be expected outside of the church. But research shows that even inside the church, there's a lot of different ideas and opinions about the afterlife, heaven and hell. Does it even exist? Most Christians believe it exists. That should be assuring. Most Christians believe it exists. Some of you would think, most Christians, like not all, evidently, not all who would identify themselves as a Christian believe that heaven and hell exist, but, but somewhere up around like 80 to you know, maybe 90% believe it actually exists. But once you get past that, the whole idea of how you get to either one, what takes you to either place, that's where we get real fuzzy. And so not everybody is sure on what it takes to go one direction or the other. But regardless of the current opinions and, and any objections that people have, this is important to us because Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says, God has set eternity in our hearts. So even for those who don't understand, on the inside of us all, there's a yearning. There's an understanding that there's something more. And though many people might try to just say, no, there, there's nothing after death, there's nothing afterwards, just to kind of, you know, harden their heart and, and convince themselves, I really do believe exactly what God says, that inside the heart of every man and woman, there is this God-shaped hole that only he can fill. And so we're going to jump into the Word. Should we talk, we're going to talk about both heaven and hell today. Should we go to heaven first, or should we go to hell First. Heaven or hell? Should we flip a coin for it? I'm going to heaven. Going to he- let's just go to heaven. Let's, let's hear about the good, the good side first, right? What does the Bible say about heaven? Well, what is heaven like? Is it okay if I walk through a lot of scriptures? I'm just going to a- ask some questions and then answer with the scripture. So it's not just so much of, hey, this is what I think it's like. Let me just tell you this. I've been a lot of places. I've been to most every state, not every state in the United States. I've been, I haven't been to the state of Canada yet. I've been to Mexico. Um, <laughs> I, I've been to Africa. I've been to Europe. I've been to India. I've been to you know, Central America there. I haven't been to South America yet. I've been to a lot of places. So I can tell you a little bit about them by experience. And I can give you my opinion of them, what it's like. But I've never been to heaven or hell yet. I'm not going to one of them at all, but I've never been to heaven yet. So everything that I can give you about it has to come from from someone who knows all about them, heaven and hell. And so that's what I'm going to do is walk you through the scripture. What is heaven like? Well, the Bible says that in heaven, God's presence is there. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is saying, when he teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, our Father is in heaven. God is in heaven. So when you think about heaven, what is heaven like? Heaven is in the presence of God. And we know this now that Jesus is there as well. First Peter chapter 3.22 talks about him who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. The angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him, Jesus is, sta- is seated at the right hand of God. That baby wants to preach this message, doesn't she? Okay, you just jump in there with a little amen, baby. Some of you guys need to give me as much feedback as that baby's giving me here, okay? Let's just do like the children. What is heaven like? Heaven is forever. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the Bible is telling us this, that heaven is in the very presence of God, Jesus, Father God, Jesus is there. And when we get there and we, are, we have, uh, you know, you're not bringing this old body in there. The Bible says you're going you're gonna to lay aside that old body and we're going to have a new body there and it's going to be forever. It's eternal. It doesn't break down. When I was in my early 20s, I was a personal trainer. And uh, I would have guys that were in their, let's just say, 40s come to me. And they needed help, and they would look at me and they'd say, "When I was your age, I could do twenty pull-ups and I could run for miles." And I, you know, I was a size whatever, you know, super skinny. And I'd look at them, I'd think, "No, you weren't." And then I got older, <laughs> and I realized I used to be able to do twenty pull-ups. I used to be able to run forever. I used to, you know, fit into a lot smaller clothes. And uh, something happens over time; your body starts to change. And, uh, you know, though we were int- intended for forever through the result of sin, it, it breaks some things down, slows things down, causes the aging. But thank God in heaven we get a new body that's forever. One that doesn't break down, doesn't have the aches, the pains, the sickness, the disease, doesn't have any of those things associated with it. It's made to last forever. What else is heaven like? Well, in heaven, you're rewarded. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Jesus says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Of course, he's talking about those who are persecuted. He said, because they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But nevertheless, the scripture seems to indicate at many different times that when you get to heaven, that you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a believer. This isn't just for everybody who stands before him, but as someone who is a born-again follower of Jesus. We stand before the judgment seat of Christ not to be judged for our sins because the judgment for our sins has already been met at the cross. However, we stand before him, and that's at the point where we receive actual rewards for heaven. And so you will be rewarded in heaven. There's different, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, like, what the rewards will look like. Is it, you know, a gold crown or is it special shoes or a bigger house. I don't know what the reward is like necessarily, but there's a place of honor that God gives you, and and it has to do with what happens here on earth as a believer. Now, you don't get judged for your sins in the sense of if you just don't have too many, you make it into heaven, and if you were pretty good, you know, th- that's how you get there, but if you're really bad, like worse than the guy next to you or as bad as the guy next to you, then you go to hell. That's That's not the judgment we're talking about. When you place your faith in Jesus, you're trusting that the judgment for your sins has already been met at the cross. But there is reward in heaven. So you're in the presence of God. It's forever. There's a level of reward. Let me just give you a great resource of a book to read if you have um, several days this summer. It's called Heaven. Okay. Heaven—that's the name of the book. If you're wanting to read more about heaven, it's like it's uh, aptly titled, and it's by Randy Elcorn. And there is so much that the Bible says about heaven that is um, really—I think—you'll find interesting. So maybe put that down as as a resource. But with that in mind, and I'm not—this is by no means uh, exhaustive—in my teaching on heaven or hell. But here's some questions that sometimes come up about heaven. Here's one: Is it boring? Some people think about heaven being forever, and they think, "Is it boring?" Because they have this image of floating around on a cloud, strumming a harp, all day long. Like, like, what do you do in heaven? Is it an endless church service? Are we just like singing songs? Who's leading worship up here? You know, it's like I don't like that music. What is heaven like? What is heaven like? Uh, Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, Are you boring? Let me ask you this. Are you boring? because if, if you're boring, then you might get bored anywhere, and maybe even in heaven. Have you ever had the time of your life, been having the time of your life while someone next to you is bored? Have you ever experienced something that was amazing, and somebody next to you is in the, having the same experience externally, but internally, like, yeah, whatever. They're bored. So it's not really the environment that makes something exciting or boring so much as, as what's on the inside of you. Now, Talking about heaven though, is it boring? Let me just tell you this: I believe heaven is awesome. Psalm chapter 16: 11 says, "You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore when when the psalmist is saying this, he's talking about in eternity we're not it's not going to be boring. we're talking about the fullness of joy fullness of joy doesn't sound boring to me. Have you ever had a time when you're hanging out with some friends and you are just laughing and just, you know, you're almost to the point of tears, your side hurts, you're having a good time, and then you spend some more time, you go do something that you come back and you think, that was great. I really do think that's an example of heaven, the fullness of joy. And he even says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, pleasures forevermore. When you come away, I mean, you're spending time there, and it's not just pleasures for a moment, but it's forevermore. There's something about the, the picture that, that God gives us of heaven that this joy overflows, it overwhelms, and it never stops. And so boredom or excitement aren't necessarily based on the activity that's going on, though I'm, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, but it, it's really about something on the inside here, because I can be doing nothing, Nothing at all. And I'll tell you what, I am not bored. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. And maybe there'll be some times of that in heaven as well where you just sit back and you think, this is great. Just relaxing at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That sounds, it doesn't sound boring to me. Here's another question people ask well, Will we know each other? Will we know each other in heaven? Well, let me just ask you, did you lose your mind on your way there? <laughs> like, will we know each other? Do you know each other now? Well, did, if, you, if you got to heaven, do you think we could become somebody else? Do you think we're like those just blank, like, body images, but no faces and no personality? I mean, think about this. You are who you are now, and you are who you will be then. And uh, when Jesus was raised from the dead, his resurrected body, flesh and bones, his disciples, they recognized him. He came in. He said, no, it is me. It is me. Look, see the scars? See see, see the hole inside? And they recognized Jesus. When they saw him, they, they recognized Jesus. Now, we have a resurrected body, but Jesus was still Jesus and will still be us. That's the way it is for us. It's unthinkable to, to imagine that we would get to heaven and know less than we do now. Now, I don't believe when we get to heaven, we will know everything, by the way. I think you will know when you get to heaven just as much as you know if you were to die right now. Let's just say, let's not die. Let's just be raptured up to heaven. We don't want to die in church. Let's just be raptured up to heaven. Okay, right now we're in the presence of God. You know how much you know? What you know right now. What you know right now. Now, I think we have a long time to learn up there. And if you miss out on some of these message series, you're gonna have to go back through them up in heaven, right? And my theology will be even better up there. (laughs) They're like, oh yeah, forget that one point. Forget that one point. That was not true. (laughs) Oh man, but you you'll learn in heaven. God is God is all knowing. We are not. And so our minds are being renewed even now. But I believe that our minds will continuously be renewed. And think about this for eternity. You still won't know more than God or as much as God. He's God. You're not. But yet, you're going to get in there, and you're going to learn, and you're going to meet people. You're going to talk to people. You know, the Bible says in Revelation, by the way, you think, what language will we speak? I know many of you might say, we'll speak English. Others of you would say, no, we're speaking Spanish up there. You know, that's the heavenly language. Uh, Amen? Amen? However... The Bible says that in heaven, and I don't have the scripture reference, you have to do your own homework, uh, it says that in heaven, every tribe, every tongue, they're before the Lord, they're speaking in their own language. Now, we we have the heavenly language that God gives us, maybe we'll all speak that too. Uh, however, you're not going to lose you, you're not going to lose who you are when you get to heaven. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but... But then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. When you get up there, you'll see Bob, and Bob will be Bob, right? And and he's not going to be somebody else there. What will we do in heaven? Revelation chapter 7, verse 15 says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits sits on the throne will dwell among them. So does that really mean, okay, now back to it, are we in church service all day? Like some of you guys have grown up in that where church is all day long and you're thinking night and day, forever, we will serve him forever? Well, let me t- tell you two things. First of all, he is that good and he is worth it. And if all we ever did to get to heaven, as opposed to the alternative, which we'll talk about in a minute and then you ch- you choose, uh, as opposed to the alternative, if all we ever did was bow before the throne of God and said, "God, you're holy. You're you're amazing. You're worthy." If that's all we ever did, that would that would be amazing, and and, and that would be good, and that would be worth it. However, when he says we'll serve him night and day, uh, I don't think it means that we're just sitting there singing songs in in a, in a worship service. Though that would be good enough in and of itself. But what's it mean to serve him? Well. Well, what are you doing now? I don't mean now this moment, but what do you do with your life now? How do you live your life? How do you make decisions? What do you do when you go about your life? Now, I know that we have fallen nature, you know, out here around us and things are temporal. However, we are to live our lives serving him now and going about the business of the kingdom, right? So when we're in heaven, don't, it's not just a cloud and, and a worship service. The Bible talks about new heavens and new earth. That means trees, rivers, you know, land. It means probably building. It means going places, doing things. And what are you doing in the midst of that? You're fulfilling the plan and will of God for your life. You are serving him through maybe even vocation. Some of you guys are like, vocation? That means we have to work? Listen, work's not bad when you're working the work of God and you're doing the will of God in your life. I don't know, like we have like factories and stuff. I I don't know that stuff. I don't know that. I don't think the Bible is very clear, but there are buildings there, and so who's going to maintain them? I don't know, like polish the streets of gold. I don't know what you're going to do. Yeah, but nevertheless, uh, you'll be doing things. You'll be doing what God has called us to do as people with intellect, with ability, with strength, with desire, with creativity. That's who you are. And that's a reflection of, of God. I think it'll probably be very similar to Genesis chapter 1 when God created man, man and woman and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. I think it'll be very similar to that, except maybe that, that multiply part might not be as fun like it was intended to be. Like, I don't know what that will look like. I don't know what that will look like. But I think it, it might be along those lines there. When we get to heaven, we're going to be doing something. This leads to all kinds of questions. I know, like, is my ex-wife, you know, which one am I going to be? How does that work? Uh, things like that come up. Things like that come up. Jesus said, in, you know, heaven, we, we neither marry nor are given in marriage like the angels, uh, but we'll have relationships. And guess what? That person that you had a hard time with here, if you're both there, you're going to embrace each other, and, and you're going to you're going to probably, I would imagine, you should forgive each other before you get there, by the way, like even right now, like, you know what, heaven, nothing is worth keeping me out of heaven. No offense, no injury, nothing is worth holding on to here in a way that would even say, you know, I'm going to hold this instead of grasp that. Nothing at all. Uh, here's another important question is, will my pets be there? Will my pets be there? Let me tell you right now, yours might, mine won't. (laughs) My pets have sinned too much and they're unrepentant. (laughs) We have two dogs. My, My wife and kids have two dogs. I have a house and everything else that they live among. And one time when our dog was younger, before we had built this fence to keep them from eating our chickens, another sin that they haven't repented of. Before we had this fence built, we, we had to go somewhere for just a short time, uh, and so we put the dog in the mud room. Well, one of us, pro- definitely not me, one of us <laughs> left the door to where the dog was able to push it open. Now, the big ho- whole house, whole house, here's a dog, kind of still a puppy, you know, just young, younger puppy, uh, didn't chew on anything didn't do anything to the house really except made its way downstairs all the way to my bedroom found our bed that i just purchased all new bedding clean white sheets nice white down comforter a nice white you know bedspready thingy whatever it's like a blanket these guys just call them blankets i don't know what they're called they have like french names blankets on top all white we find the dog, we're like, oh gosh, the dog's not in the mud room. We start going around. Oh, the house looks pretty good. Everything's pretty good. Oh, you know, a couple things out. Go into my room. In the middle of that bed, the biggest yellow spot. Aww. He could have peed anywhere. <laughs> but he did that, so it wasn't an accident. <laughs> it was sin. <laughs> that dog's a sinner. <laughs> he looked at me and he did not repent. why i say uh let me tell you this i think the bible indicates there'll be animals in heaven animals don't have you know the ability to be born again it's not pet cemetery it's nothing like that where they come back or or anything like that but (laughs) you guys are like pastor you watch that show i watched it when i was a kid and it scared me okay (laughs) scared me i'm like fido okay so listen here's here's the deal uh Those things bring us joy. Our animals bring us joy. And for some of them, they're they're like families. And wouldn't it be like God to make a just-like-me pet up there to bring you joy and happiness at his right hand or have our pleasures forevermore? Nevertheless, I think that when when we're really talking about eternity, when we're talking about heaven, we're talking about the joy that the Lord gives us, I don't think that there's some of the things that we've experienced for loss here that we're going to be so worried about or broken over there. In fact, the Bible says that God... He wipes away every tear. So even if we get up there and we're like, Fido's not here. He didn't make it. You know, you're, he's like, he wipes the tear and you're like, okay, thanks, Jesus. And you're going to be okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, that's not a thus saith the Lord. So if you want to have a different opinion, you can have whatever opinion you want about that. Amen? <laughs> what about hell? What about hell? Let, let's, jump into, let's jump into that because my time is, is getting shorter. The time is drawing nigh for these things. We're closer to the end than when we started. What about hell? What's the purpose of hell? You know, hell's not a great place. It's really not. And uh, when you think about hell, some people try to say things like, yeah, yeah, we're in hell now. No, you, you might be in the lake of fire or the frying pan, but then you move to the lake of fire. You know, it's like this might be tough here on earth. And it's not how God intended it, by the way, on earth. The brokenness, the pain, the suffering that people experience. There are people who are experiencing terrible things and it's not God's intention. And it may very well be a taste of hell because of the result of sin but it is not anything close to what hell will be like. I've heard it said that you wouldn't want your worst enemy to go to hell. That's how bad it is. And we say things flippantly like, oh, go to hell or there's a special place in hell for those kind of people and so forth. And I understand the justice of God and the anger of man and so forth. However, even in the midst of that, hell is a terrible place, a terrible place. And uh, matthew chapter twenty five verse forty one we have to find out who is hell for what 's the purpose of hell? Well, Jesus said this that I mean, he 's telling a parable he said to those he said, he said this in matthew chapter twenty five forty one uh, Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was never prepared for man. it was never intended for man, but through the fall of man who decided to go with uh, the, uh, Satan and and to follow him and uh, disobey God, turn his back on God. The Bible talks about the sin nature of man, that because Adam sinned, every other man has sinned. We have then become uh, in that same nature, that fallen nature. And so sin wasn't, our hell wasn't intended for man. It was intended for the devil and his angels. But those who have decided to put their allegiance with Satan or Many of us, many people would say, "I don't, I didn't decide to do that," but uh, they re- decide to reject God. Then, though they ultimately become, by default, followers there, and so though it's never was intended for man, it was intended for the devil and his angels as a place of eternal judgment for them. Many people end up going there. Revelation twenty ten says the devil who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This was God's original intention for Satan. Uh, But there are many people who follow suit. Uh, What is hell like? Well, the Bible says it's like a, a furnace of fire. In Matthew 13, 42, he says that he's talking about at the end of the age that God will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth in Revelation 20, 15, it says it's like a lake of fire. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In Matthew 3:12, it says that there's an unquenchable fire. So he said his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So we get this imagery there that it is this eternal, everlasting lake of fire. Of fire, Now we are watching on the news there in Hawaii, this volcano that's erupting and from the earth, this burning fire that just seems to continually flow and ooze. And that gives you some imagery of maybe what hell is like. And you can imagine that even as you get close to that, the fumes are terrible and dangerous. But he, if you could get close enough to touch it, the burning sensation, that would be, that'd be terrible. And that's what hell is, is uh, described as, this lake of fire. It's not good, people. It's not good. If you ever burn yourself, you jump back right away. Imagine being thrown into a lake of fire. Some people might ask this question, is it just spiritual? Is it kind of a metaphor? Well, no. The Bible tell, says that it's not just spiritual. In fact, the body and the soul suffer in hell. Matthew chapter 5, 29, Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it far from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast in hell. He's saying this, that, that physically your body will be cast into hell. The Bible talks about this. Though we die, there's a resurrection. There's a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Those who are resurrected to eternal life, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, they get these new resurrected bodies. But those who are resurrected, and they're, they will be uh, going to hell I don't know what their bodies are going to be like. Maybe it's just like what you had here, and it just continues, continues to suffer. And Matthew, I know this isn't encouraging. I read. Let me tell you something. I read stuff about hell. I think about hell, and it, and it like turns my stomach, not just the pain of it in a moment, but the thought of how long it lasts so it's a physical pain he's he's referring to but Matthew 10:28 he says do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him god who has the who who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell so there's something about it. it's not just a physical, but it's at the emotional, the soul level is also the suffering that's taking place there. That's why I'm saying nobody wants, we don't, we don't want to take it lightly or come up with our own opinions on these things. Just read what the book says and find out how he says to avoid it. What, uh, how long does hell last? Well, so often over and over and over through the scripture, he uses words like everlasting, eternal, nonstop, forever and ever. Matthew 25, verse 46 says, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is, it lasts forever, and it does not stop. It does not stop. It does not stop. And, and the hopelessness of it, when you know it will never end, imagine burning yourself and then just putting your arm on there, and it doesn't sear and get numb that pain is always real, always present, and in your soul, you know it will never end. That's what it is. But here's the worst part of it all. The worst part of it all. It's the complete absence from the presence of God. The complete absence from the presence of God. Second Thessalonians 1.9, talking about this. And By the way, the Bible never gives an exhaustive description of heaven or hell. Like, okay, let me just talk about heaven. Here's 20 things you need to know. Let me talk about hell. Here's 20 things you need to know. It doesn't do that. It's weaved in and out throughout the scriptures from beginning to end. And there's there's uh, more revelation of it in some places than in others. And so you'll see little snippets. That's why I'm giving you portions of verses and so forth. 2 Th- Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. The complete absence of God's presence is hell, which is, by the way, when we talk about that, that is the consequence of sin. When Jesus went to the cross and he's up there and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's as if Father God turned his back for a time because of the sin on Jesus. He couldn't look at that. And Jesus experienced in our place what we would experience for eternity when he went to the cross. So all the suffering, all the torment, all the pain, all the judgment was on him, which included separation from God. And so you see that up there, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The absence of the presence of God, he experienced that on your behalf. This is why the redemption, the forgiveness, the salvation of Jesus is complete in every single aspect spirit, soul, and body. It's complete in every realm of our life. He paid the price. He he experienced the loss completely. That right there is what makes heaven so good. Salvation so good. Along with that, the worst part, majority of people are headed there. It's our default destination. Matthew 7:13 and 14 Jesus says enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and there are few who find it few who find it I read scriptures like that and I'm like oh thank you Jesus for revealing yourself to me for giving me a chance thank you Jesus I had other friends who I knew, they heard the gospel and they didn't respond. I know many people who 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 knew the truth but didn't receive it. Lord God, I don't want to take this lightly. Those who do not follow the will of God go there. Matthew 7 21, 23, 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Heaven and hell are just as real as the places we see with our own eyes. Nevertheless, because of God's grace, we get to decide where we spend eternity. We get to decide we're not destined for hell, though it would be our default destination. But he's provided a way for us to spend eternity in heaven. It's why we choose to believe God and receive his gift of salvation by faith. And this is also what compels us to reach others. And this is what compels us to talk to people and be bold. Because though it might be embarrassing, though they might think that we're kind of old-fashioned, archaic, or we're not with the times, we really do believe that this isn't just heaven and hell and true for me, but this is true for everybody. And that that salvation has appeared to all men, that every person can be saved, but every person will stand before the Lord, regardless of their beliefs. Every Knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The key is will you do it on this side of eternity or that? And so for us, I want to do it on this side. Jesus, you are Lord. You are the only way to heaven. There's nothing I can do to get myself there. I simply believe it and I receive it and I trust you by faith. And Lord God, I give you my old life, I give you my sin, I give you my future, I give you all of that, Lord. I want your forgiveness, I want your righteousness, I want your acceptance and that right there i can i can add nothing to it to get it it is completely by grace through faith grace made it available faith receives it faith act, acts on that right there it takes it to us but there are those who would reject and say no i'm going to take my chances i'm just going to go do it my own way or, or you know you keep that's great truth for you but it's not true for me but everybody when you die for us, as believers, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, we go to be in the presence of the Lord, but everybody will stand before the Lord. And it'll be too late to make a decision at that point. Oh yeah, I believe you, God. I believe you now. I know, but you didn't believe me then. And that's when you needed to. So those are those are the, the tr- some truths of heaven and hell that compel us to decide to follow Jesus, to give him our whole heart, To live in a way that's worthy of the calling he's made for us, of the salvation he's already given us. To live in a way that honors that. We'll talk about this next week, by the way, about understanding salvation by grace because there's so much confusion over, over grace and obedience and the part they play in salvation. And we'll talk about that. But it's so important for us to catch, what does the Bible say about these things? What does the Bible teach us? All right, if we're going to have a survey now, how many of you would rather go to heaven? Anybody? Okay, okay. That's at least 90% of us. Even if you didn't raise your hand, I'm I'm pretty sure, uh, though I did a very small scratch of the surface of what they are, God is good to us. God is good to us. And so when you understand hell, you sure appreciate heaven and you appreciate Jesus. Can we take a moment to pray? Father God, thank you so much for, for, uh, for rescuing us, sending your son. We can believe we won't perish. We believe in your son. We won't perish in everlasting hell. We won't perish, but we'll live everlasting life in your presence, fullness of joy, thank you for the cross. If there's anyone here who maybe isn't sure about their salvation, today would be a really good day to make that decision and to give God thanks, to acknowledge, Jesus, I need salvation from you. I have sinned. I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. And I need to become righteous. And it's only through you. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to reject you. I want to know you. Please forgive me, Jesus. Cause me to have new life, to be born again. Teach me to follow you. Maybe you would pray something like that. Lord Jesus, I pray for anyone who would struggle with fear and condemnation. Even the born-again believers that have experienced the lies of, but you're not good enough and and you're going to get sent to hell anyways. I reject and rebuke that lie. Those who have even been condemned thinking, I've committed the unpardonable sin. I can't be forgiven. We lift that lie from you right now. Thank you that Jesus is forgiven and cleansed and made whole. Thank you, Lord God, for for our loved ones, our friends, and our family, those we come in contact with who don't know you. We pray that we would be bold and have the words to speak, to tell them about you, introduce them to you, and see you save them for eternity in heaven. In your precious name, God, make this church a church that, to whom the reality of, of heaven being so near and hell, that we understand that and we're compelled to reach out to others. We thank you, Lord. Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name.